Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pitcher Bet Sports Podcast. On today's episode, we go through the remaining four series in the NBA playoffs, Al Horford's career night in Milwaukee. Everyone needs to just chill out and stop blaming the refs so damn much. Then, Philly resurrected James Harden. Is he all the way back? Then, Are the Golden State Warriors primed to go to the NBA Finals after their massive win last night against the Memphis Grizzlies? And are the Phoenix Suns in deep trouble? Are they going to lose to Dallas? We'll discuss. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Guest. With me out in Las Vegas is Matt Morris. How you doing, my friend? What's cracking? So listen to this. I didn't go to the draft, right? <laughs> we talked about that a lot last week. Um, I was chatting it up with some of my buddies who went to the draft. So they didn't have them walk out on the fountain like we assumed. Right, right. Uh, yeah. Which is kind of a bummer. I guess the telecast was what was on the fountain. Like the guys, you know, sitting in the booth and like doing Correct. that. So they actually had the dudes come out like by the Caesars forms, which is over by me actually. Um, it kind of tripped me out when my buddy told me that. I was like, I just assumed that they'd have these kids walk out there, but they kind of like put them in the back of the strip. And it makes more sense now that Sauce got lost because he was in like a banquet hall of the Caesars forum trying to walk on the stage but point being trippy like vegas is very very small but very very big um and that kind of just tripped me out also formula one just bought 210 acres in las vegas to build their official racetrack that's here. so sick yeah so when i was watching on the telecast i obviously i noticed that as well that they weren't at, at the bellagio but um I, I was curious was it because it's so windy in vegas right now because I've seen that it's been super windy out there and that the like conditions are, you know, not ideal for being outside as far as like I saw 40, 50 mile an hour winds. I don't know if that's how it was on the strip, but that's what I assumed was the issue when I saw that they weren't on the Bellagio fountain because it looked like they made a setup out there. It looks like they had something ready to go for the guys to cross the stage. But obviously they were in that, like you said, the Caesars Palace area or wherever it was over there. Um, what was it? Did they say anything because of the conditions or it was truly because like ESPN NFL Network couldn't set up their cameras correctly out on the strip and get the production the way they needed it? I think you're really onto something with the wind, right? You're having these guys walk across what, what looked to be, honestly, I saw it, a very, very tight window of like space when you're walking on these right. um, like created pathways. But I really think also it was really staging. You need Goodell. You need these players. Uh, you need the guys in the second round announcing who's being picked all to be staged somewhere right before they come out and make the announcement. Right. And when I looked at the setup for what they had at the Bellagio Fountains, they didn't really have any staging. You know, like there wasn't a banquet room right behind or like, you know, let's say 150 yards away from the actual stage itself. So at the Caesars Forum, you do have that staging area, as you saw in that Sauce Gardner video where he gets lost, right? Like there are places for these guys to just hang out and wait for them, their opportunity to go on camera. And right. I think that's what it really came down to, at least from a production perspective, like just seeing that because you can't just have Goodell like the entire like four hour time slot, like just sitting in a chair 
behind this little black curtain on the Bellagio fountains, right? Like he's right. He makes yeah. $50 million a year. Like you can't do that to the guy. So yeah. I think it was staging, but I also think you're right. Probably wind. Like there's probably a way they could have made a makeshift, you know, partially comfortable way for Goodell and these players to do this, but also kind of like a nightmare to get like each player that's picked. Like I, I think Malik Willis probably wasn't there, but say there was a guy there in the green room that was picked in the second or third round. Like you're going to have him sit out in front of the Bellagio fountain for three straight days waiting <laughs> yeah. to get picked. Right. Like so there's just some like little quirks about it, but um, I think it would have been dope. I think it's an opportunity in the future, but to your point, dude, it has been windy as hell here. Yeah. I- I've seen it's been really, really bad in Vegas. And a good example to what you were just saying is Brees Hall. He was in the green room, but didn't get picked day one. And then like halfway, eh, maybe like 10 to 15 picks into the second round, um, they had him come back out on the stage because he wanted to have his like his moment with the commissioner and, you know, like he deserves. Right. So they were like, oh, introducing Brees Hall, the newest New York Jet. And he came out, took the photo, had his jersey, you know, like doing all the pictures and stuff. And you're right. Like now that you think about it logistically, right, you're going to have all those guys sitting in front of the stage with their families in mm-hmm. 50 mile an hour win. Um yeah, it does make sense. I think that was the idea. That was everything I saw online last year mm-hmm. uh, when, they, or excuse me, COVID year when they had the initial setup for the Vegas draft. Um, I still think it was a smashing success. But yeah, I was really interested to hear to hear from you if you knew anything or if anyone said anything at work to you. So that does make a lot more sense. But um, overall, I still thought it, it was a success. Yeah, dude, I think I think it was amazing. And I again, I'll beat the drum. I think the draft should be here in Vegas every single year. You know, 500,000 people came to the city and you've got the, enough hotel rooms where you can accommodate those fans. It's about yep. the fans. It's about the experience. It's about promoting the game. And I will say that about the NFL, the MLB, the NBA, like you need these these leagues to promote themselves and give fans the opportunity to really experience something fun. And they did that for the draft here in Vegas. And I'm, you know, I'm excited for whatever vegas can bring in the future um and i I hope the nfl and i hope other big sports leagues take to this and say hey you know what like maybe we should make that market our market too yeah 100 percent. like you said f1 is coming there i guess Mm -hmm. they had a massive weekend in miami um i still haven't caught the bug of the whole formula one racing deal that people are super into right now uh maybe one of these days but you know i think the obvious next choice is is getting the oakland a's to vegas right i I think there's no reason the a's need to be in oakland anymore and that's no disrespect to the city or i know a lot of really diehard a's fans but at the end of the day the relationship is tarnished and you know they would thrive vegas is one of the best sports cities in america uh they would thrive with the baseball team out there and once again it would just be another thing year round for people and visitors as well as fans of the team to do in Las Vegas. I think it's an absolute no brainer that they need to build that stadium, um, you know, within the next few years here and get the athletics out in Vegas. Well, and dude, like just from a pure sports perspective, they're, they're getting like 3000 people a game in Oakland right now. And for to sure. your point of like that relationship is tarnished and diminished. Like the fan base is like, fuck it. Like, right. They, you suck. You've traded all of our talented players. Um, you are paying $46 million in payroll, which is a travesty. And you want $9 billion from the city. Like, the, you're right. The fans are like, fuck you. And I, I don't know how you reel that back. Like, say they even get an approval for the stadium and they stay in Oakland and they get a new stadium. Like, 
as a fan, I'm a little salty. You know, no like doubt. I'm a little insulted and I don't know that time does heal all wounds and you're not going to get my revenue dollars through your, your, your gates right off the bat of opening a new stadium. So you're, I think you're spot on. I think, I think it's a tarnished relationship and there's not really anything that Oakland or the fans can do anymore. Like it's, it's time for a breakup. Yeah. I mean, I don't blame the fans at all. Like there's the Bay area has some of the most wealthy individuals in the world up there, right? There's so much money in the Bay Area, right? You know, and to put it on this, the the people of Oakland who I don't live in the Bay Area, but I live in California, we pay enough taxes here, right? Then to throw another tax on to, you know, the, the city of Oakland, which isn't San Francisco. So all the people in San Francisco are completely excluded from this. You know, Oakland isn't as big of a city as a town as San Francisco. Um, when you know that you have investment money, venture capitalists, uh, Silicon Valley, the Bay Area has money, okay? And I, I agree with you. I think that the relationship is completely tarnished. I don't know the exact details on how the $9 billion would get split up and how ownership works out there. But I think at the end of the day, you're right. The fans have already accepted it, just like they accepted the fact when the Raiders were leaving as well. And yeah. They're like, you know, we still love our team, but we're not going to go to the stadium and spend money. So it is what it is. Well, and just the last thing, you know, like this is something that was brought up when the Raiders came to Vegas. Um, it's actually like still relatively close, you know, like you can take a weekend trip to Vegas. No and doubt. Like, oh, let's go see the A's. Now, more people are going to say that about the Raiders and the A's, which is why Vegas is struggling to lock this deal down. But at the end of the day, it's like $9 billion in taxation or like we can move them five and a half hours, you know, east and we can go enjoy them in Vegas and still watch them on television. I, I just think at the end of the day, this deal needs to get done. Um and, and again, you know, like from a sports perspective, being the Bay Area, you've already got a lot of sports like fandom up there already. You know, like there's a lot compounded in one area. And I just think it's time a deal gets done. Well, Matt, moving on to the NBA playoffs, uh, before we get into some of these matchups and breakdowns, I do want to say I, this has been one of the better playoff you know, runs as far as for the NBA and quality of games, competitiveness that I remember in the past few years, all these series are really, really good here in the second round. We had some solid series in the first round as well. Um, I've been locked into the television every single night, watching most of these games, watching a lot of these young superstars and, you know, watching the product thrive without a guy like LeBron, right? Like, and that's not even a shot at LeBron. You know, you just always feel really nervous for these transitions from, you know, these face of the league, as we talked about a few, I don't know, probably almost a month ago, like who's going to take over now that LeBron's basically almost retired, you know, and, and you've seen a ton of really, really, really good players put on massive performances, man, you know, so we'll start off with the game last night, our series, the biggest series Bucks versus Celtics, the Celtics steal one in Milwaukee last night, the Bucks fully blow a seven point lead going into the fourth quarter. Uh, Giannis played incredible, but the supporting cast, this was another game where, damn, they really missed Chris Middleton, right? Um, but all the all the credit to Boston, in my opinion, they uh, it hurts, but they they played better than the Bucks, you know, made the bigger shots, made the defensive uh, stops and they uh, they hit their free throws. And, you know, when they the calls went their way, they capitalized. So at the end of the day, in my opinion, as a Bucks fan, I still feel pretty optimistic because 
the two games the Bucks have lost, you've gotten a career performance from Jalen Brown, and now and also Horford in game two, but definitely in game four here, literally a career high performance from Al Horford in game four, just to take down the Bucks, right? So from Milwaukee's standpoint, obviously it's a best of three series now. They're going back to Boston. If they can steal this game five in Boston, I think they can close it out in six, hopefully, as I predicted, right? Now, if they lose in game five, I, I do get a little nervous that they can win two in a row to beat Boston to move on. Um, what this series has signaled and solidified for me is that the winner of this series is for sure going to move on to the next round and then move on to the to the finals. But I, you got to give credit where credit's due. Boston's role players stepped up on the road. Al Horford, Smart had a decent game. Derek White played really, really well. Um, and Jason Tatum finally showed up. I think he scored the final like 10 or 12 points down the stretch, hit a couple of huge threes to just basically send Milwaukee packing. Yeah, the big takeaway I think I'm seeing from the Bucks, especially over the last couple of years and how it translates into this season is when desperation sets in, when, when it's time to actually step up and play, Milwaukee does. Um, and I think we're going to see that in game five. That's my expectation. If we, To your point, if we don't see that, big time concern. Right. Because as I said to you last night, I was checking the box score, checking the box score. Bucks are looking good. Bucks are up. Oh, Bucks lost. <laughs> eh, well, okay. You know, it, game, you know, game four, like they don't need it. It would have been nice because then the series is all, it's over then. Um, but I, I do. I feel like with a veteran led team, even without Chris, they know that, hey, you know what? We're probably the better team when we're on. I think that's proven. Right. And when we're off, we lose by six, seven points, you know? So, like, we're just going to we're gonna continue to play at our pace. But now that the pressure's on a little bit, it's going to be, okay, we got to come out there and we've got to all perform. We've got to play well. We can't fuck around. That's kind of what I'm taking from this team is that they're kind of just messing around out there. Um, I want to see game five. Can they show up? Can they win the game? Can they take care of business? And if they can do that without Chris, again, I think this team without Chris is the better team. Like, they just – they are not performing well because you said it best like the Celtics it's taking something special every night for them to even just hang around which kind of goes back to the fact that like oh they're just not there yet um talent wise I think they are I think they've got it I just don't think they've been through the rigor like the Bucks have and I think that's what ultimately gets you those extra championship runs is the experience so I look for the experience to come through in game five from Milwaukee I look for them to take that game in Boston and if not hey I'm wrong Boston might be the better team, and that's cool. Like, I want to see the best teams play here. Uh, I, I just think Giannis needs a little bit more help. You know, he can't put up a game like he did last night and have everybody be cold. That's the other thing on the side of the coin. It's like, is that really going to happen, you know, three more games in a row? There's got to be some help eventually for him. Yeah, and to like what you said as well as, you know, the when the Bucks backs against the wall, they play well. I mean, Boston's just won two must-win games in the series as well. You know, they had to win game two had to and i in my opinion i thought they had to win last night so uh they, they're really stepping up they've shown maturity but yeah it's interesting uh jalen brown didn't play that great last night tatum wasn't playing great and then found it at the end but but guy like al horford just showed up and he was almost the best player on the court so that's basketball man it's crazy the one thing i do want to address before we move on to the other series here is that there's been a lot of bitching and complaining about the refs in this series and just in the NBA in general. And, and I'm not going to deny that the officiating has been, you know, like 
bad. It, it hasn't been great, but I think these refs, and I've thought about this for a couple weeks now, I, I think the refs are in an absolute lose-lose situation, no matter what they do out there. And it's solely based on the behavior and the way that the NBA superstars play nowadays, right? If you watched like tonight, the, the day this is going to come out, we've got Dallas playing Phoenix. Luka's the biggest flopper in the league. I, I love Luka, but he's the biggest actor in, in the entire league. Like, it's literally ridiculous. So where I'm going with this is that when a superstar player gets nicked in the face or barely touched and flails out all crazy, man, now the refs are like, oh, shit, I, I missed that. I didn't realize he just got hit in the eye or in the mouth or whatever it is. And then that now becomes you know, a regular foul. And that's how we get these ticky tack fouls being called. And then you have guys like Draymond and Marcus smart trying to take charges and flying and flailing their bodies, which then now confuses the referees because when it is an actual charge and a guy sitting there and taking a hard, a hard call, it makes it difficult for them. They're like, Oh shit, is that a block? I'm not sure. Or is that a charge? I'm not sure because every time Giannis or one of these guys comes down the lane, these guys just go flying back like they're putting their shoulders into them. So when they actually put their shoulders into them, I can't tell the difference. And then you get to this point now where you go five, six minutes in a game where every possession there's a call because someone's complaining or someone's flailing or they do end up calling a ticky-tack foul. And then you got a guy flopping and then you get the product that we see. So has the officiating been bad? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. But you got to put some of the blame on the players because in real time with these pro amazing basketball players it is not easy to call these games and the players aren't making it any easier flailing and flopping and acting around it's a problem the league has to figure this out and again i'm a much more aggressive disciplinary individual than <clears throat> these leagues are but they've got to step it up from just fines to suspensions you know if you're going to continue to flop suspended suspended you know and do a thing like the flagrant two where you get enough suspensions it's now a much longer suspension they've got to cut it out from the game because it's hurting the game we've seen what flopping do like does in the stigma it gives to soccer which is ironic because lucas from europe right yeah. um <laughs> yeah. it's a disgusting product at times because these guys are doing much more egregious flopping than the nba in the nba but don't even know that you can say the name or the flopping in the nba is pretty atrocious lebron draymond marcus like these guys are out here be Even doing like it. Embiid, yeah, like it's crazy. Because, because you have to. Like if, if it's allowed, something like steroids in baseball, if it's allowed and you're not doing it, you're, what are you, what are you, you're hurting yourself. You're hurting the team. Like you have to. So they've got to get control of that. Um, I think it's better in ways than it was, but there, you know, it's like anything, slow progress over time. But you're right. The refs are in a very hard spot. Yeah, man. And it's like there is bad calls, but that's part of the game, you know, like from youth, from youth sports, not just basketball, from youth sports all the way up to the pros, man. Like it's not easy to call a game in real time. And when these guys are so good, it's tough to tell when a bump or a hit or a poke or whatever it is actually is affecting them when those professional athletes are making it seem like they just got punched in the face when a guy maybe, maybe scratches them so that, that's all i gotta say um you know I, I was tweeting pretty aggressively last night because all you see is fucking celtics twitter oh Giannis is running through him oh Giannis is getting away with everything it's like it, it is going both ways and it's tough for these refs when every time Giannis hits mark is smart he's fucking falling over or grant williams so like 
it, it has to go one or two ways. Like you have to stand your ground. So it actually makes it seem like, yeah, oh yeah, he really did run Grant Will. He ran him over. That's a charge. But when you're out there flailing and flopping every single time, you put the refs in a terrible position, which then is going to lead to injury and obviously missed or bad calls. So get the fuck over it. All right, moving on to the series we thought was over, Matt. Um, did, did you see Philly's bat all the way back? I love did you it. See, did, you love see it. The, did you see the beard? Prove me right for the first time in two and a half months. Played his, uh, the beard career night, Matt. And, uh, and of course, of course, this is how it always fucking goes, betting Philly. Um, I, I didn't bet on Harden because he's the most bipolar person to, <laughs> to bet on. We put our points on Embiid. Uh, like for our player prop in Embiid, we needed him to get 25 ends with 24 because he doesn't score <laughs> one point in the fourth quarter because Harden takes over. I was like, dude, Embiid, Embiid will get one point. You know, we're going to cash out a couple hundred. Like, let's fucking go. Right. Uh, nope. Harden's just like, no, no, no. I'm going to go back to Houston Rockets. Harden step back three playmaking. And th- this is what I expected. Right. Like, has he diminished a thousand percent? I don't think that's much of an argument anymore. But when the team needs someone to hit a bucket and they're denying Embiid the ball, double teaming Embiid, saying we will literally let anyone else beat us, Harden has to beat them. And he did, man. And the series is going back to Miami. They play tonight. Uh, I think Philly's got it. I I think Philly's going to run through them. I think they're going to win four straight games. I can't believe it. We're literally talking about who are they going to pick up in the offseason. And after we released the episode, Joel Embiid's like, no, I'm going to play with a broken face. I don't care. I've cleared concussion protocol. Here we are. it's just an amazing story. Embiid doesn't win MVP, but he, once again, is, is fully a top five player in basketball. His presence on the defensive end has completely changed this game. Bam Adebayo isn't playing with the same confidence. All the role players from Miami look like shit. Only Jimmy Butler is the only one out there doing his thing. But Jimmy's biggest issue is he's not much of a three-point threat. So they're kind of nickel and diming uh, Philly to death. But... If Philly's hitting threes, if Danny Green's on, if Thibault's making shots, and then James Harden's getting 30 points, um, they're, they're going to run through them. The, the game tonight in Miami is going to be, there's so much pressure on the Heat, and if they cannot win, if the Heat can't win tonight, their season's over. Been saying it all year, Matt. Miami's trash. Yeah, you have. They're trash. They're trash. Like, they're trash, they're <laughs> trash, they're trash, they're trash. Um. And don't get me wrong, I do think there are some matchups that Miami definitely favored in this NBA playoffs but it wasn't philly with Embiid, and i give him a lot of credit you know coming out here and playing with the broken orbital bone it's a really good indication as to seeing like i'm a winner i'm a gamer we talk about that a lot on this podcast like some players have it some players don't and like yo joel Embiid wants to win and i respect the hell out of that and if you're just getting 75 percent of james harden from when he was on the rockets with joel Embiid. You should mop the floor with a lot of teams. Right. And I think that's what we're seeing here with the Heat. Like the Heat just don't have a competent roster to compete against really good players um, from, you know, really good teams maybe. But you're talking about, again, you know, Embiid top five on a good night, James Harden top 20. Like James Harden can take over a game. You're in deep trouble. And yeah. I think it's because of what you just said. Like my biggest frustration and issue with Jimmy Butler is that he doesn't have a complete game doesn't have a complete game because he doesn't have a three-point shot and when you don't have that and you you, you taking it a piece out of your team's 
structure. When you're the best player, the best scorer, and you can't do something from the offensive production standpoint, you've given your entire team a negative black hole there. And sure, Miami's tried to like surround him with Hero and Duncan Robinson and guys that can shoot, but Robinson's what completely out of the rotation at this point. Yeah, you know, Hira is is doing okay in the playoffs, but he's not you know super hot. And you said it with Bam Adebayo, who's supposed to be the defensive like enforcer on that team, not being able to do to enforce his will because oh good lord, Joel Embiid's the guy you're playing against. Um, just everything emasculating is what I think the word is for this team. I think <laughs> the Miami Heat are have shown what they are. They're a bunch of posers. Yeah, and their biggest issue, and you kind of alluded to it, right? And we'll see tonight in Miami. Like they're at home, their lesser players should step up today, but they they have a serious issue, and it's like who is the number two, right? Every team needs a number two. The Bucks lost last night because their number two just he, Drew just didn't play well, and it, it happens, right? Like it's basketball, man. He couldn't make a shot, and he's five for twenty from the field, and that's a losing recipe, right? Um, in, in Miami, at least. Like the Bucks know right now, Drew's their number two guy. I don't know who their number two guy is. It should be Bam. Like it should be. Bam is a good player. It should be him. It's not. Tyler Hero, nice player, right? He's good. He's a solid guy, but a number two, really? Like he's way too inconsistent. And then you got Kyle Lowry, but he's hurt. Like he, he's he's done. He's way past his prime. Um, so, so that's an issue. Like you don't even know who you can depend on if you're Miami. Whereas Philly, we just talked about it, right? You've got Harden and you've even got Tyrese Maxey where you can really lean on him if he's feeling good and he's feeling hot, but you yeah, got like, I, I th- you got I like think, fives over there. <laughs> yeah. Philly, you've, like, you've got, yeah, you've got, yeah, even Tobias too, right? Yeah. Like, so you, you've got options of guys like, Hey, I need you to go out there and get a bucket outside of Jimmy. It's just like, I, I don't know, man. And and I think at the end of the day, that's why no one was giving Miami any respect, even though they had the number one seed. Like, yeah, absolutely. They play great defense. That's awesome. But and at the end of the day, and we'll get to the Warriors here in a second, you need a closer. You need a guy to help your superstar score some points. And Miami just does not have that. All right, moving on to the Western Conference here. Uh, we'll start with the Warriors. That game was just last night. The Warriors are going to, I mean, I think they might lose in Memphis here for game uh, five, but they, they're going to close this out in at least six games. They barely beat the Memphis Grizzlies last night without John Morant. Jaw was out with a knee injury. There's all the drama going on about Jordan Poole hitting his leg and this and that. I, I don't necessarily buy that at all. I think the way that Jaw plays and this is my only real gripe with Jaw is that he does play a little reckless sometimes, but that's just that's his game, you know. And unfortunately, and I don't, I mean, I guess I'm going to speak it into existence, but I don't want to see this happen. Is I kind of see him having the same kind of rise and fall as a superstar as Derrick Rose, just based on the style of play. Now, am I wishing him to get you know a couple ACLs and you know be a shell of himself in four years? No, not at all. But there's just it's tough to play that high against the rim, that explosive, that much pounding on your knees in the NBA without significant injury. He he missed over 20 games already this season. He's now missed. Uh, this is only his first game in the playoffs. Maybe he missed another one. I think it's only the first game in the playoffs that he's missed. But man, you know, he he takes a beating out there and them people saying Jordan Poole pulling his knee a little bit to, to hurt him. I, I just don't buy it personally. Anyways. 
Golden State's losing the game, Matt. I don't know if you watched it last night. Golden State had the lead for 60 seconds. <laughs> all game um memphis looked great you know i think their defense is better i think their offensive cohesion is a little better without jaw morant on the floor but where i'm gonna go defend jaw here is when it came down to we need a guy to go get us a bucket a three get some sort of offensive production they crumbled right now jaw is a little bit of a liability on the defensive end sure 100 percent but that shot Jaron Jackson had to get up and take at the end of the game because they had no one else to score is the reason why they need Jaw. Saw a lot of slander with about Jaw last night because the Warriors almost lost that game without him. But man, the, the Grizzlies go ahead, get rid of him, right? Like go ahead and play with Dylan Brooks and Jaron Jackson and Desmond Bain. And I like these guys. They're all solid role players but when push came to shove at the end of the game and Steph Curry started cooking Clay Thompson hit a couple big shots Poole made a nice layup Draymond was making stops on defense they needed someone to slow the rundown and they just didn't have it so the Memphis Grizzlies need jaw he might not be the best defender but that's something this offseason I think he can improve on with his athletic ability yeah, man, I just wanted to, I think, first comment on the idea of him and D. Rose, and I fully agree with you. I think from an athletic perspective, D. Rose is probably the first player in the NBA that I've ever seen elevate athleticism to the next, like, tier, a parameter, right? Like, you're just someone right. that's like, oh, my God. Because John Wall was that way, too, after Rose, but Wall just didn't have the overall package or the game that Rose has or, or Ja has. Um, and here we have Ja. It's like you know. It's like looking back in a in a time machine, seeing seeing Derek out there. And it's like, damn, it's it's him again. And I hope you're wrong. I hope I hope that me you too. Can stay healthy, and I know you are too, right? Like, it's just you're right. You play that reckless. Any sport, any sport at all. Bryce Harper, we were talking about this ten years ago, right? Like, you just can't play that way. You're going to get hurt. It's just, this is the reality of the games that you play. And I think we talk about that too in NFL, right? Mike Vick. Mar Jackson, like you got to slide, you got to learn to like take your hits at the right time, you know, this and that. So I hope Ja can definitely monitor the way he plays. Um, and we can see a long career and a lot of excitement and entertainment out of him because that's what we're looking for. But just to talk about his overall game, you're right. Like, who are you going to replace him with that's going to be help, like help you beat the Golden beat State the Warriors. Warriors? Yeah. Like, you know, this is the point of basketball. It's a team game. You should be able to compete without one of your best players. We talked about that with the Bucs. And if you can't, oh, hey, it sucks. It means that you have a glaring hole, right? Like, it means that that guy is irreplaceable in your rotation. Good for him. He's going to get paid. Bad for the team. And, Ja, here we go. Like, irreplaceable, yes or no, right? Like, yes, you need him at the end of the game. But from a defensive perspective, from an offensive, like, efficiency, not necessarily until the fourth quarter. So I just think ultimately he – the team had a good game. If some of these shooters shot at a lesser percentage or, you know, if the spacing wasn't there for him, we would have been talking about them losing by 15 and everyone would have been like, oh, well, the series doesn't count because Ja was out. Right. So, well, no, again, injuries happen. Right. Um, and also, I do. I will bang this drum time and time and time again. Some teams just aren't ready to win the big games yet. And I think with well Memphis, said. this is their growing period, much like I think it is for the Celtics. Um, much different scenario because for Memphis, like they're babies. This is this is really like their first taste, I feel like, of actual success in the playoffs and like believing, hey, we can take it to the to the uh, Western Conference Finals. There's that belief there. I think probably a little bit less now with the, the jaw injury and being down 3-1, but 
kudos to them. And I think this is a team, if Jock can stay healthy over the next few years, that we're going to be talking about making runs in that West for many, many, many seasons to come. Yeah, and you said it perfectly to wrap this segment here is some teams just aren't ready to win. And the team that in the playoffs right now that is the most ready to win outside of Milwaukee is Golden State. Like, no doubt about it. Steph even said it last night. He's like, we played like shit, couldn't hit a shot, couldn't do anything. Nothing was working. Nothing was right. Steve Kerr was out. He said, but we're built for this. He's like, we're here for these moments. This is why our team plays basketball. And that's fucking scary. <laughs> you know, yep. like if you're on the other side of that, like Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond, like those dudes, they know what to do when everything is on the line. You know, don't get it twisted. Those are three Hall of Fame basketball players and right right now, just kind of just leaving their prime. Right. Like Steph, I still think is at the tail end of his prime here. Um, those guys are absolute killers, absolute warriors. Right. And that they know how to win. And last night was the perfect example of that. All right, moving over to the last series here. Another one that's really interesting, Matt, is the uh, Dallas Mavericks against Phoenix here. I, I thought Phoenix was going to run away with this one. And I uh, I also on the last podcast was saying I think Chris Paul can really have like one of the most influential playoff runs of all time. One of the most legacy-defining playoff runs ever for himself. And uh, wow, did he make me look dumb this past <laughs> week, man. He played two of the worst games he's ever played in his entire career. Literally, after I said that. So, Chris, I'm sorry for even bringing that up and putting that <laughs> into the universe, man. Um, he looked horrible in game three. I think he started the game with seven turnovers and ended the game with like eight or nine. And uh, Luca and the boys ended up doing their thing. And then the next game, he fouls out, only plays 23 minutes and just had a really just played like shit. Just had a really, really bad game. Um, and w- what I think is really interesting about this series now, Matt, is I think Dallas has kind of cracked their code a little bit on what lineup they like to put out there. Um, I cannot believe that DeAndre Ayton isn't playing better. I think that like going up against a guy like Maxi Kleber, who's a solid player, but Ayton should be eating him for lunch, man. I'm talking 25 and 15, right? Like max player money. And he's just not right now. And Phoenix is scrambling on defense. They're doing everything they can to stop Luka but they're letting the other guys hit wide open threes. You know, they hit, I think 20 or 21 threes in game four to beat Phoenix. And, you know, Booker did his thing. They had the best possible game they could outside of Chris Paul and it still wasn't enough. So I'm a little nervous about Phoenix. I still think they're the better team. My biggest gripe with Phoenix has always been that their secondary players suck on the road. Horrible. They do not play well. So then when you get a shitty game, shitty two games out of Chris Paul, it's really, really, really dangerous for the Phoenix Suns. Now, tonight in their game, I fully expect them to win by eight points. I really do because they just, they Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, DeAndre Ayton, all the you know other guys play way better in Phoenix for some reason. They actually have a true home court advantage. But I'm telling you right now, man, I think they need to switch up the strategy on defense. I think they need to just let Luka do his thing. Stop double teaming him. Let him score 50 because you cannot have Dorian Finney-Smith hit six threes. You cannot have Kleber and uh, uh, Bertans coming off the bench and hitting you know a combined seven three. You can't have Dallas hitting 23s or you're going to lose. And the way that you protect that 
is you let Luca do his thing. You let Bridges take him one-on-one, give him a hard time, have him shoot 30, 40 shots, and you stop everybody else. That's my advice to the Phoenix Suns. Obviously, I'm not the coach of the year, Monty Williams, who deserves it. Congrats. But they need to stop these secondary players because I don't think Luca and Jalen Brunson can do it by themselves. We've been talking a lot this postseason about which team is the hungriest. And, you know, I think the expectation was that Phoenix would come into this playoff run as the hungriest after a disappointing uh, finals loss last year. And here we are against the Mavericks. And the series is tied 2-2. And I'm now starting to question, are they actually as hungry as we assumed they are? You know, they're not playing against Ja and the Grizz. They're not playing against Boston, the up-and-coming team that finally met its potential. And they're not playing against Embiid and Harden where, you know, hey, we've got two superstars to beat. They're playing against one singular player in Luka. And just a bunch of bums, honestly. <laughs> yeah. um, again, good role players. Guys that are going to get paid more than they should by this team because they need them. I'm just really concerned with what what's going to happen with Phoenix moving forward because I get the Warriors possibly struggling against the Grizzlies. I get the Bucks possibly struggling or losing against Boston. I cannot fathom the Suns losing to the Mavericks in this series. And I think you're right. I think they win game five here, but it shouldn't be 2-2. And of course, we over um, masked the fact that, oh, well, Phoenix lost the last game because Chris Paul fouled out. You shouldn't need Chris Paul against the Mavericks. You should not. And if you can't step up on the road as role players, at some point, whether it's the Western Conference Finals or the Finals, you will be knocked out again. Um, and at this point, I think I'm putting Golden State power rankings number one in the West. I think the Suns' like overall performance has dropped them down. And that's disappointing because I wanted this for Chris. Yeah, and I actually wanted it for, for the Suns too. I would have to agree with you, man. Like If you tell me... Shit, even if they win the next two games, uh, they they win in Phoenix, they win in Dallas, I'm still taking Golden State over Phoenix, 100% right now. Now, uh, in the Eastern Conference, right, I'm taking Boston or Milwaukee over that Philly-Miami, whoever comes out of there. So I I agree with you, man. It it is a bit disappointing. It's a bit concerning. It's what lost. It's literally what lost them the finals last year, right? You you, you had the first two games. I think they beat Milwaukee by 10 plus the first two games. Bridges was playing out of his mind, right? Chris Paul was playing great. Aiton looked awesome. They go to Milwaukee, lose both of those games, come home, and those guys shrink a little bit under the pressure. They're role players, not Booker or CP. And then next thing you know, you lose that game and you're in Milwaukee for game six and the, the confetti's already in, in the rafters. You know, it was already ready. So um, I'm, I'm definitely a little concerned about them. I, I expect a Chris Paul just career night tonight. I expect a, you know, an 18 to 20 point performance, 10 to 14 assists, and, you know, him just dominating the entire game. And, and if not, Matt, when we record for our next pod this week, bro, um, we're, we may be shaking in our boots for the Phoenix Suns. Hmm. Okay, everybody. Well, thank you for tuning in. Tune in for some more updates. Matt and I are going to do a little bit of some changes here coming up in the next few weeks. Got some work changes. Baby on the way. So we got a lot to announce here. Um, Follow us for all updates, all clips, all content uh, on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at PitcherBetPod. We will see you guys Thursday. Have a great rest of your day. Cheers.